I don't know if you ever needed glasses for anything or had a test. You know, I was one of those kids that never needed to get glasses ever. And then when I was 19, I started working at the Red Cross, and they set me in an office where I would be in front of a screen for a lot of parts of the day. I would leave to go teach some classes, disaster relief, first aid, CPR, those things. But for the most part, I was sitting behind a desk, and suddenly after a year of working there, I noticed that at nighttime that the lights look a little bit brighter. I noticed that there were halos around, you know, street lights and, 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 and traffic lights. I noticed that I couldn't read as well from a distance and I had to sort of squint my eyes. And so I said, hmm, I think I might need glasses. I went to the, to, to the uh, eye doctor and they uh, went right ahead and says, yep, you sure do need it. And as soon as I put those glasses on, I didn't realize how badly I needed glasses. I was like, whoa. This looks great. Everything is clear. You know, driving at night doesn't mean it has to be all halos and brightness when cars are coming towards you and you're seeing these things. You can actually see clearly. And so I'm like, wow. Now, don't get me wrong. Years later, I cheated and I got eye surgery, so I don't need glasses again. But, you know, I'm told when I get a little bit older, I'll need reading glasses again. But for right now, the point is, is that my experience was that I was able to see clear. I don't know if you had that or if you experienced that or not. And, and you know, when I'm, when I'm thinking of this and I'm thinking of that particular video about seeing people through God's glasses, the way that God sees people, but not that we see them, I'm reminded of a story in the Bible that we see here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. This is the New King James Version. And it says the following, Mark, Mark sorry, not Matthew, Mark 8, 22 through 25. It says, then he came to Bethsaida. This is Jesus that is speaking about. And they brought him a blind man, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Now, I those who have written on a car with me, you know my allergies. I always have tissues and I'm always spitting. The the idea of, of Christ spitting. In his hands and touching somebody, I, I wonder about that. It kind of humanizes him a little bit. You know, I don't know if it was like a, a loogie or if it was just a little gentle thing. But, but you know, here you have this vivid imagery of Christ spitting in his hands, touching the person's eye and it says, do you see anything? And what was the response? You see here in verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Verse 25, then he put his hand on his eye again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Who did he see? Everyone clearly. But at first, at first, at first, he saw men like trees. And I wonder how many of us need to be touched by Christ a second time. Because you see, I know for a fact that you've been touched by God at least one. The fact, the ones, the fact that you're here this Saturday morning, the Sabbath morning here to worship in the house of God tells me that, that somehow Christ has touched you in some way, but for the very fact that you're right here. But then the question is, do you see people as, as things? Do you see them like trees? Do you need to be touched a second time so that you can see everyone clearly? I mean, when someone comes to your house, do you just see the repairman or do you see a human being? Do you just see the, the person that's just a salesperson in the store or are they a real person? 
You know, do you just see him as a millionaire, an accountant at work, or perhaps simply an electrician? Do you need to be touched by Christ a second time? Come on now. You know, I wonder about that because sometimes it's easy for us to distance ourselves from those individuals. Get upset at the lady in the grocery line. Why is it so long? Come on, hurry up. Oh, we got a slow one today. What is wrong with you? Do you ever think about simply just saying thank you, man, for all that you do? I know it's not easy, and I appreciate you being here today. Do we need to be touched by Christ a second time? You know, I had a real hard experience in, in, in St. Petersburg some years back. St. Pete, because we're close by water, there, there's a lot of areas that are flood zones. When I bought my house, I looked at several houses. Some I fell in love with, but they were in a flood zone area, and I had an issue with that. Uh, one day on the way to church, near the church in St. Pete, we did have uh, flooding in near that area. And I'm driving, and I'm in my 2011 Malibu. I got a 2014 one because, you know, broke pastors cannot afford for cars to break down. So every three to four years, I get a new one. That way, I pay a monthly fee, but I know that I got one that has warranties and whatever else. So my older car, I'm driving, and this guy comes out in the middle of the road with a metal bar and just whacks the side of my car. And so I'm like, what in the world? And you see, because it's flooding, I'm following this pickup truck behind me. He's parting the waters, so I'm really close to him. And and, and I kept going until I got to a little bit of a higher ground. And I come out, and I see that. I call the police. They say, sorry, we have a lot of disasters. We're busy. We can't get there. And so you could come into the station to make a report. And and I had an issue now because, I mean, you're going to hit my car. I did nothing to you. I'm just driving through, and here you are. I don't know why in the world you just ran into the street and just whacked me. There were cars in front of me and behind me, but why are you hitting me? And so, you know, I God is not finished with me yet, and, and I struggle a little bit with, with, with this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not materialistic at all, but at that moment, I was upset. Now, if I would have came into the parking lot, it has happened a lot at Walmart, and somebody hit my car or whatever okay, it's good. But the fact that somebody went towards me, charging towards me, and what? Suddenly I felt violated. And I had an issue with that, and I was so angry. A few days later, I go by that area on the way to church, and I see couches and clothing and TVs all in the sidewalk piled up. I went and pulled up to the house of the individual that hit me, and what I noticed is that they were located in a flood zone. All of the cars driving by throwing more water over there, and they had about two feet of water in their home. They had babies in the house. They lost everything. He was frustrated at at the moment. I saw that, and it broke my heart. It really, really didn't say, wow, here I am thinking just an aggressor, just a guy that came after me. I was ready to fight. I was ready to do whatever I needed to do because I was upset. But when I saw what he was going through, I no longer see that somebody that came at me and whacked my car, but somebody who had just lost everything. And so the St. Pete Church stepped up and we were able to help this family. We helped restore a lot of things that they had lost in their home. But I understood suddenly I was mad at myself for being so angry to begin with because I realized, wow, I was upset about a little gash in my car, about six inches and a whack, and yet he lost everything in the home. So that was a smack in the face for me to actually see beyond just the guy that hit my car and actually see the guy who just lost everything in his home. Do we need to be touched a second time? Or are we still seeing people just merely like trees? Do we need Christ to touch us again so that we can see everyone clearly? I have to tell you 
that is something that is very difficult, especially for us male Latinos who are hard-headed and stubborn to begin with. That is a struggle. But you know that in the Bible, there's plenty of examples that angry, hard-headed people also were able to see people the way that God wanted them to. Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but here's Moses. He's dealing with a whole bunch of whiny baby Israelites who are complaining every single step of the way. You know, part of, you know, he's right there before the Red Sea. Oh, you brought us here to die. We should go back to Egypt. Oh, we're hungry. We should go back to Egypt. Oh, manna again. We should go back to Egypt. Oh, this birds from heaven. We should go no matter what. Oh, the sun is in my eye. We should go back to Egypt. They're complaining all of the time. And then here you have the point where they go up on the mountain. They're there in the mountain. And, and, you know, and, and just out of the foot of the mountain, Moses is there. He comes down with the tablets. He gets upset at them because they're worshiping a golden calf. He throws the tablets, gets mad, and then he's having a conversation with God where God is upset. And look what he says. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. For those ungrateful people, Moses was willing to lay down his life on the line for them. He had a little temper tantrum too. He broke the tablets. But then afterwards, he's talking to God like, look, please forgive them. If not, take me too. I love these people so much. I see them so much that I don't just see those whiny babies. I actually care for them. And if you're not going to forgive them, please do that. Do, do, do it to me as well. Blot me out of your book. This is not just talking a temporary death. This is talking about the, 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 the second death. Take me out of the book of life. Take me out of your book. Do you see that? What about the next story? King David. King David. He, um, this is after he killed Goliath. He's doing a lot of work for, for King Saul. Saul is after him, trying to kill him as much as he can, any way he can, sending people after him. And look at his perspective you know, when he's seeing people through God's eyes more than anything else. First Samuel 24, 10. Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord deliver you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spare you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. You know... <laughs> My, my grandparents are pretty good at faking it. You know, they got a lot of grandkids, and they do well about not, not trying to have favorites and stuff. But my brother stinks at that. He has no poker face. I could tell clearly which one of my kids is his favorite. You know, like, like he really like, oh, because my daughter looks like his daughter, who's like 20-something years old with kids now. My brother's a grandpa. So when he sees suddenly, you know, my daughter is like, oh. You see the pictures, they look exactly the same. I mean, that's like his favorite right there. However, may God have mercy on his soul if he ever mistreats any of my other kids. I'm okay with having a favorite one, but don't, don't mistreat the other ones either because they're all my children. And do you realize that your neighbors, your co-worker, yes, that horrible boss that you're working for is also a child of God? Are you seeing him through God's eyes? Or are you willing to mistreat God's other children as if I will be okay if my, my brother will beat up one of my kids, mistreat one of my kids, talk about one of my kids, and just, just completely treat the other one like a princess? They're all my kids. So how do you feel about God's children and about God's anointing? Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. 
Here you have something else that gets to me big time. This is in Matthew 9, 36 through 37. Again, we're reading from the New King James. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, this is Jesus, he was moved with compassion. The Greek word there is esplachnisomai. And yeah, that there for Christu is there. Esplachnisomai. And this literally means to have your vows completely just move. Now, not a bowel movement like when you go potty. I'm talking about when you get sick and amused, that it just makes you sick to your stomach. It gets you completely twisted. And I point that out because when it says here, move with compassion, you get cheated in the normal language of English. It says that he was moved with compassion. His stomach got twisted. He turned into knots. His bowels moving just got into a big knot for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Have you seen people out there weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd, but many of us out there don't even claim a shepherd, period. So do you understand why this is important? And it made Jesus just completely sick because the harvest was plentiful, but the laborers were few. This is why today's message is making a difference in your community. If you remember two weeks ago when I preached here, I talked about making a difference in your church. But now we're looking at the community because the harvest truly is plentiful. And and Jesus was sick to his stomach because they were out there like sheep having absolutely no shepherd. Philippians 2.3 says that let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each deem others better than himself. That is very easy for me to do with my family and my kids with lovable people. But unlovable people, I'm not trying to treat you better than myself. That is very hard. But yet it is the very thing that the Bible teaches. Do you see right now how we have a world where they need people like you to behave like Christ and introduce them Christ to create that meet and greet? Because they need guidance. They are like sheep having no shepherd. Won't you point them to the shepherd? Won't you model the example of being a follower of the shepherd? It's not a, it is a rhetorical question, but I really want you to think about that. A couple of weeks ago when I preached this, I shared some things that were happening around the world. Here you have it in Charlottesville, Virginia, where you had the riots and stuff. Poor young lady gets run over and killed. And now suddenly it feels like we're living back in the 60s or something like that with racism and and all of these things. And the problem with that is that hatred and racism begets more hatred and racism. You know, I have to tell you, I don't struggle with racism one bit. Because you know what makes a Puerto Rican? The Spaniards that came, the, 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 the pale face, tall, you know, blue eyes Spaniards. They had African slaves with them on the boats. And they went to the Taino Indians in the island and they commingled together. A Puerto Rican is a Spaniard, an Af- a, a African, and an Indian, a local Taino Indian from the island. That's what makes a Puerto Rican. That's what makes us supposedly pure blooded, and we're just a mixture of the three. That's why I have a cousin that has blonde hair, blue eyes, and another cousin that is just crispy, crispy, dark. And we're all Puerto Ricans. You see my wife, she's, she's, she's darker than I am. She has like that Indian shade to her. So I don't struggle with racism. But when I lived in New Jersey and somebody would call me some derogatory names because I'm Hispanic, suddenly I reciprocated in the same manner. When I was a kid, that was a big issue. Racism and hatred begets racism and hatred. You treat me nasty, now I feel like I gotta defend myself and I feel like we gotta draw the lines. And that's gotta stop. 
We're all children of God. And yet we are seeing that. We kind of forgotten about that because of the things that are happening. But this is something that is very vivid. And it's not just concentrated here in the U.S. or in southern states. Look at well, this. Some Guelph residents are worried racial tensions in the United States are having an impact here at home. Guelph police are investigating a hate crime at a local church. A racial slur was spray painted on the roof of the building sometime last week. CTV's Nicole Lampa is just back from the Royal City tonight. Nicole. Megan, the pastor and several of the members say they're surprised this has happened in Guelph and are also disappointed. Pastor Selburn Frey climbed onto his church's roof last Wednesday. From the ground, only a couple of spray-painted messages were visible, but once on top, he discovered something more hateful. I was horrified, knowing that we have been here for years, worshipping in this building, and nothing like this has ever happened. Inside the church, members find solace through music and one another. It's really hit home. The things that are happening in the U.S. have seemed to move north. Guelph is somewhere that, you know, have lived for the past 14 years. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great city. And it's not, uh, it's not something that I would have expected from, from uh, our community. Guelph police say the incident happened sometime between Saturday, August 5th and Wednesday, August 9th. The church is open only on Saturdays and Wednesdays. It is a serious matter. We take this type of uh, vandalism very seriously. It is categorized as a hate crime. A crime with a racist message. At the end of the day, we are not angry. We are not angry. However, you know, we are forgiven because we are a church and we are here for the community. A pastor with a message of his own. Now, the church is in the northeast part of Guelph in a residential neighborhood. The pastor says they plan to clean off the hateful messaging soon. Anyone with information is being asked to contact police. Megan. Okay, thanks, Nicole. The lady that was at the piano, Carolyn, she is one of my old members from St. Pete. She's a snowbird, spent six months in Canada, six months in St. Pete, and she had called me when that happened earlier in August, in tears. Because they got a new pastor. It's a mixed church like here, but this is now a black pastor. And so they run, they roll, you know, they kind of blurted it out in the video, but they wrote all kinds of racial slurs. Again, this is in Canada, the place where people still leave their doors unlocked and open and, and everything else. Understand that something horrible is happening throughout the world. And there are people out there that have no idea what it all means. This is something that we need to keep in mind. More recent since this happened, that was in August, we got fires right now, Washington, Montana, Oregon, California. We got the, the what's happening in Texas. I know we're so focused with our own hurricane. We forgot that just the other day it was happening in Texas. Some places are still flooded. Here in Florida, we need to keep that in mind as well. Here's where the hurricane has been already in some islands completely flooded. Trees falling on cars and creating complete destruction. The, the death toll is just ridiculous. We have seen that just yesterday morning. We had an 8.2 magnitude earthquake in Mexico, the strongest one in 100 years. And as a result of that, there's a warning for eight neighborhood countries, Ecuador, Nicaragua, Panama, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, El Salvador, and Costa Rica, because there in, a tsunami could be the result of this earthquake. You know, creating those tremors and stuff. It lasted for so long. It destroyed so many things. It's taken like 58 li lives already since yesterday. And they're still counting and looking for survivors as we speak. 
So do you see why there is a need for us to really focus on making a difference in our community? We can't just sit idly by. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 3, it says that if God abhors one sin above another, of which his people are guilty, is in doing nothing in case of an emergency. Indifference and neutrality in a religious crisis is regarded of God as a grievous crime and equal to the very worst type of hostility against God. And so I really want to encourage you, wherever you are, wherever you may be, you can make a difference. Whether you're stuck in a cubicle in your workplace, let me ask you, if I were to talk to your co-workers, would they say, oh, I'm so proud of your church members. They are really true examples of children of God. Would that be what your co-workers would say? Imagine how it would look like if you were to show up to work and, and, and you know, say a prayer for everybody before they get there. Keep in mind what they're doing. Go out of your way to help them. When they share to you a sad story, oh, okay, I'll, I'll pray for you and call it a day. Imagine if you were to look at your workplace as a ministry field where you could look out for them. Imagine the lives that you can touch. What about in the grocery store? I mentioned that to you earlier or anywhere you go, your waiter, your waitress, wherever you are, to be able to make an impact today. You know, you go to the line, say, thank you for what you do. I know it's not easy. May God bless you. And just be encouraging you rather than about time. And, you know, you took long enough. I mean, could you imagine the difference? Especially right now during the store where people are working and you get upset because there's lines at the gas station. At least they're there showing up to work. So consider that. What about your neighbors? You know, I met earlier this week. We had, I had lunch with uh, Pastor Bain, the new pastor for the mayor, not the church. And he was telling me something that he does. Um, he says, you know, when I go visit church members, I tell them, and I told them I'm going to adapt that. So if I already visited you, you're lucky. But if I haven't visited you yet, you're going to have to keep this in mind. He says, I tell my church members when I come visit, make it a point to introduce me to at least two of your neighbors. He says that he has asked some of his church members that, and they says, well, I gotta introduce myself first. And then I gotta, I'll introduce you to them. But imagine if I were to ask your neighbors about you. What kind of neighbor are you? Are you the one that models Christ or something different? If you really want to make a difference in this community, if you want to reach people, begin in where you are. Whether it's at work, whether it's a grocery store, or in your neighborhood. Your neighbors is your first mission field as well. Outside of your home, of course. Home is first. And then spread from there. You should be able to minister to them too. Help them out a little bit. See what it is that you can do. So come on now. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Matthew 9.36, it says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for, uh, for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. I repeated that text again, and here's the reason why. I just mentioned a couple of things. You know, some of the islands, there were locust infestations. Just before the hurricane came, they were everywhere. You see some videos where they were just all over the place, almost like a plague. It is ridiculous. Also, we kind of forgotten a little bit, but there might be some kind of war brewing in one of those Korea places as well. Also, some of us struggle with our government, whether we believe in it or not, whether we are for it or against it. Some of us are strong. There are people out there, regardless of where you stand, understand that if you are unchurched, if you are whatever, you are thinking, man, government, hurricanes, earthquakes, possible tsunamis, locals, plagues. What in the world is happening? And they're looking to you 
to see how you respond in a moment of crisis. One of the tele-evangelists in Texas, man, he got, he got beaten up big time. Because apparently he gave all kinds of excuses for not opening up his church. Let me tell you this. I don't know where he's at. I know us here, we needed to plan for this a year ago. Legally, we cannot. So we kind of dropped the ball here. I hope we don't get beat up for not opening up to the communities. But he got beat up big time because the world's thinking, well, you're a church guy. We're giving you all this money. What are you doing to help us? In a time of crisis, they're looking to you. And if people who believe in a Savior, who have a different hope, react just the same or worst, what hope is there to share Christ with others? We are meant to respond differently through a moment of crisis. We are meant to have a peace that is differently. I always use Stephen because he's the one that I have the toughest time with. But in the middle of being stoned and hit, Father, forgive him for they don't know what they do. In the middle of going through it, in the middle of the furnace, yeah, my God could save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you in the book of Nazareth. And they went in there and they're doing just okay. So people are looking to you, especially during these times. You have an opportunity to make a difference in your community. And your job is only to create a meet and greet. You don't need to be a theological expert You just need to show them Christ. You need to share who the Savior is. And that's it. You don't need to be a theological expert to say Christ loves you. Here's what he is. Let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. I tell you from time to time, depending on which message I'm preaching, the lady at the well. Remember the lady at the well? Every time I get a chance, I share that because he cracks me up. They're having a conversation about husbands. And she says, yeah, you're right. You're not married. You have like all these husbands and the one in your house is not even your own. And then when she goes back into the town, tells them, you got to meet this guy named Jesus. Look what he's done for me. And that other husband that wasn't her, she still left him in the house. The Bible wasn't even clear that she went and kicked him out first and then talked. She went to say, look what Jesus has done. Your job is to create a meet and greet. And we have an amazing Savior. We have a God that knows what keeps you up at night. I love the psalm that it says he places his tears on his bottles. We have a God that says he would never ever leave you nor forsake you. We have a God that although he may not always spare us from the storm, he will carry us through the storm. We have a God that has a plan in hand. We have a God that truly, genuinely cares about you. That before you were, he knit you together. Before the world was from the foundation, you were there inside your mother's womb. He knows the hairs in your head. That is my God. And we have a God. If you listen to anything that I've said today or nothing at all, pay attention now because we have a God that will meet you where you are. We sometimes forget about that. He says, come to me just as you are. And we put requests and petitions. Yeah, but you got to make a checklist of things before we can really accept it. No, it's not how it works. Why are we trying to keep the gates closed when Christ says, come to me as you are? Not only does this come to me as you are, he will go right there. You don't have to go far. You just have to stop running away and say, yes, Lord, here I am. That's all we got to do. John 21, 15, it says, so when they had eaten, I don't know if you're familiar with this. This is when they're by the sign in the water, by the side of the water, they're, they're eating. And this is what Jesus says. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? There's a couple of words in Greek for the word for, for, that mean love in English. In English, you get cheated because it's just love, love, love. But in Greek, there's a distinction. 
This word right here is agape. I don't know how well your Greek is, but we're going to work on Greek. Agape, okay? And, 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 and it means unconditional love. This is a God love. So he says, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. He didn't say I agape you. I love you unconditionally, but I love you that brotherly love, the way I love my brother, my sister, my son, my wife, in, in, in that kind of way, not in a romantic way. There's other words for the romantic kind of love, but in this way, I phileo you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, ten my sheep." Then here you go the third time on verse 17. And this is the part that gets me about my awesome God, the Christ that I worship and love, the one that died for me. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you recognize that? Is that agape or what is that? Phileo, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Some of us think it's because he had to ask three times. No, is that the third time? This is what happens. Jesus says, do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you. Do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you. Simon Peter, do you phileo me? Oh, 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 mercy. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We have a Christ that promises to meet you where you are. He also promises not to leave you there. Don't sit there and resonate in all of that. When he finally connected, I don't know if you know the story, but for Peter, this was shortly after the denial, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and this was before the book of Acts. When he finally clicked for Peter, and he could say things like, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This is the same Peter that his shadow, as he passed by people, he healed people. This was just that moment before, before he clicked, before he connected. The Lord met him where he was and brought him to where he wanted to be. And yes, God will meet you even in your sins, even in your failures, even in your struggle. And he promises, which is the most important thing of all, to take you out of that and take you to new places. My God, an all-welcoming God, an all-accepting God that is willing to meet you where you are. He wants you to agape him, but he'll take phileo for right now, and he'll get you to where he wants you to be. And so that same shepherd, he was moved with compassion. His stomach was turning to knot because he saw the people, and he saw that they were weary, scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Isaiah 6.8 Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Church, I have no idea what's going to happen over the next couple of days. And I don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of years. The Bible gives us some signs that things are just going to get uglier and uglier. We talk about climate change and everything else. Wasn't there in the Bible about the sun hitting you know, seven times faster, uh, hotter, or ten times hotter? I forgot, seven or ten. I'm sure somebody will correct me afterwards. But isn't that biblical where it talks about things getting worse and worse? Isn't it compared to contractions? There's always been earthquakes. There's always been hurricanes. We're going to see more and more and more of it together. I believe now more than ever that my God is coming very soon. But that's not a time to be afraid, but a time to go out there and share Christ with the world and make a difference in your community. And so I want to do something different today. I want to do something different today. I want to 
do the following. We're going to sing a closing song and pray. But what I want to do, I typically don't do this kind of appeals. Usually I do the appeals privately. We all close our eyes and you privately say to God. But I really do want to challenge you and encourage you that if it is your desire, leaving from these doors today, to really go after making a difference in your community, I want you to stand with me. And don't do it because anybody else next to you, you know, uh, is standing. I don't want you to think, oh, look at me. This, this, is, this really is important to make that commitment. If you physically can't stand, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and, you know, raise your hand. Don't feel bad about not getting up. It's okay. But I do want to go ahead and ask you if this is your desire. Because if not you, then who? They're out there like sheep having no shepherd. They're scattered and they're weary. And who will go for us, says the Lord. And I pray that you can say, Lord, here I am. Send me. So if this is your desire, I ask that you stand up with me as we pray. Father God, I come before you, Lord. You see the folks here that are standing. And Lord, you know, right now them standing here means absolutely nothing unless we go out there and really allow you to work in us and through us for the benefit of all. We need not to be an expert. We need not to be efficient in, in many different things. We simply need to have a desire to introduce people to who you are. So we need you to work in our lives so that when they see us, they may get a little bit of a glimpse of who you are. Please bring us the opportunities to make a difference in our community. Whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's at work, doesn't matter where it is, even within our own home. I don't know how about the folks here, but I know some of us, even within our own families, we have folks that we haven't talked to in years. We have folks that we could care less about. And, and we need to start looking people through your eyes. We need to perhaps be touched a second time so that we, instead of seeing men like trees, we are able to see everyone clearly just as you. So please, Father God, this is a two-part prayer. Number one, touch us a second time so that we can see people for who they are as your children, as your children, Father God. And secondly, give us the opportunity and bring to us the means and the ability to be able to make a difference in this community. May you bless us and keep us right now, Father God. May you work in us and through us for the benefit of all. It is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.